Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here. We're back with your weekly episode of Ranching Reboot. Right beside me in the co-pilot seat is my buddy CK, and we have a special treat for you today. My friend Lloyd Bordtrager is going to join us from near Hutchison, Kansas. Lloyd runs a very interesting operation. I've uh, been a customer of Lloyd's for a while, full disclosure. Um, he has some wonderful products, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about a little bit later in the show. So, Lloyd, I guess uh, this is kind of part two of our of our dairy mini-series, and we're focusing on on you. So, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Lloyd. Let's get started. Well, sure. Thanks for having me, and uh, it's good to be chatting again with... Uh, with uh, good ranching people. Um, yeah, I'm Lloyd Borntrager, uh, living here in central, south central Kansas. Got uh, a dairy farm I grew up with, uh, been on the farm ever since I was a baby, uh, live on the place where I grew up with. And uh, yeah, we've, we've gone through quite a few different changes over the years since I was a boy. And, uh, I, uh, took on the kind of the management skills through transition from my dad. And, uh, here I am doing, doing all the, all the stuff we've got on our plate today. So, um, it's been a journey and been a lot of things I've learned over the years, you know, 37 doesn't seem very old, but it does, uh, seem like a lot of things have happened from, from my childhood. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a good one, learned a lot and I'm glad to be here and not having to relive what I, what I had to learn, uh, to get here. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, go ahead and, and where you want to go, Brian. Well, there, there's quite a bit to unpack from there. So let's uh, let's back up and talk about your education and what the operation was like when you took over from your dad and how long ago that was. Okay, so uh, I was involved in, in, in the farming all my life. Uh, I did some off-farm jobs through my teenage years, but my dad was a conventional dairy farmer and uh, row crops, um, hay, you know, it was the bring, bring the uh, feed to the cattle and haul the manure out type of operation. And so uh, he was, what I really, really enjoyed about my dad, he was willing to, to think of new ideas and to allow myself to uh, try some new things, not that he was really good with it or okay with it, but he knew that, you know, down the road, me taking on the operation, I needed to do what works for me. And, and, uh, otherwise there won't be a farm left, uh, later on if, if I don't stay. So that was kind of the thing that led him to allow me to keep on trying new stuff. And so, yeah, I, I really got interested in, in the uh in the cattle grazing uh after being on a tractor most of my childhood life you know plowing the fields seeding plant or planting seeding uh harvesting and then you know 
hauling all the manure out and going at it again. And uh, so he was, he was probably, oh, it's been 16 years. I mean, that we, I got married 16 years ago. And so uh, that was the time I, I kind of took on some management responsibilities and uh, gradually over time took on more. And, uh, and then in 2011, uh, he, he got killed in an accident. And so all of a sudden I was left with, with, with everything. I, I had at that point learned most of the things that were going on, but uh, he still had some of his own personal responsibilities that I didn't, didn't have that I hadn't learned yet. So it was a, kind of a big load to take on to, to, uh, to learn from and to get up to par. And so that was uh, kind of an eye-opening for me when everything was on me to decide what to do was, okay, we got to make this work. How do we go about it? And uh, how can I keep my, my foot in the door of the dairy industry? Uh, at that point, I was seeing lots of small dairies going out of business and I knew we have to keep on uh, staying ahead of the eight ball to keep going. So you said small dairy. So like, I, I'm not terribly familiar with dairy operations and how they're how necessarily classified. What would you call a, what are you calling a small dairy operation versus a medium or, or a large size? Yeah. Well, typically back in the day in my childhood days in the community here uh, that I grew up with, most all the farms in the, in the community, you know, they had a 30 cow dairy and they had their, they, they had their hogs back in the day. By that time, when I came along, the hog price had, had collapsed and, and there was no more, more of that, but um, they'd have, you know, some beef cattle, maybe not, not a whole lot, but their dairy was still the focus because that was the family occupation where kids could help. It we had to be there every day. And, uh, it was kind of the, the foundation of, of the, of the farm was the, the small dairy. Uh, and so, yeah, small, I would consider 30 cow and, uh, Medium, you know, you get you get a lot higher when you go to medium size in the in reference to, you know, you get past a family farm. I mean, there's, I know, like my sister has a farm and she they milk up to 200 cows, but that's that's about as much as you can push it on a uh, family operation. Otherwise, it's it's like more a of a commercial. Family. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that would kind of be the top end of where where a medium size operation would be. It would be two hundred and and around thirty would be a small size operation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that that those are probably way outnumbered with the with the big you know the large you know even in in quantity numbers there's there's a thousand cow dairies that are that are still yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure we'll ever have one of those on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk, uh, let's talk about your cows. 
let's, well, I guess before we get into that, we're still, we're still kind of talking about how you got started. Um, is there any, any maybe succession planning or estate planning tips that, that you learned over the, over the last 10 years, uh, when your father passed away, that would be a good thing. Just a yeah, little hot, yeah. hot take from that. Yeah. Well, the, the quote that, uh, I think Joel Salatin says is when, when old people can't get out, new people can't get in. And I think that meant a whole new level to me when, when I went through it, because to have, to have the dairy farm, uh, as, as your lifestyle to, to have it as, you know, when it's gone, you know, your lifestyle's gone. I know, I know several dairy farmers in the area that, have quit, but they don't know what to do. I mean, they didn't know what to do. I mean, they've kind of tried to learn some new things, but it's, it's a lifestyle. And so, yeah, I think it's very important for, for the older generation to, to realize that times do change with the, with the young people coming along and not just the young farmers, but, but consumer demand is a big thing with that, that really determines how your farm looks and, you know, markets and, and all the, the end where the end uh, use is, that makes a really big difference. And, and as far as estate planning, um, yeah, we don't talk about that. And that's just something normal. We don't talk about it and uh, we just keep going. And before we know it, it's here. And, and uh, yeah, it's just, I advise people talk about it. I know my, my dad's passing made, uh, made us as a family, my mom really come up to the, uh, to the planning of, of, of the estate and, and talking about those things and, and, uh, you know, really, really giving an understanding of what, what plans are for the future instead of coming to that point and, and having a surprise that you've worked all your life for, and it isn't, isn't the way it was going to, how you assumed it to be. So I think that's a big part. I think we've kind of heard that before, you know, clear communication early and, and agreements and having agreements because expectations lead to disappointments. And, you know, I think that uh, there was a lot of our, a lot of the older generation um, kind of was of the mindset. Well, what do I care? I'll be gone. Let the kids figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. You know, we, that's, that's really kind of not a, not an appropriate mindset anymore. We've got to leave things better than we found them. And we've got to make, we have to ensure that the next generation starts off on the right foot and that they're mm-hmm. invested in, in stewarding our resources. Yeah. Yeah. So, Okay, now we can talk about your cows because you can't have a dairy operation without cows. That's right. <laughs> you milk some almonds, right? Almond milk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Where are the teeth? I'm kidding. Yeah, try to try to make uh, it the right color and taste taste the right way. Yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> so okay, back to the cows. Sorry. Brian. Yeah. So let's yeah, talk about well, your cows. Go- yeah, to the cows. Uh, I love to talk about the cows, uh, and especially for all the people who uh, 
ask about my Oreo cows that I have out on the pastures and uh, people stopping in and asking, what are those? What are those? Our, our land just corners up to the highway. And of course, when they're out in the pasture, they do see those a lot. So it's, it's good to, to, to be, be exposed, I guess, when you have uh, something special and it draws people. So uh, we have, what they call Dutch belted cows. Uh, they're they're a uh, more of a older heritage breed cow. That's a dual purpose, but uh, they've still been, you know, in the breeding for for current day needs. Uh, so it's not like you have uh, a beef cow you're milking or something like that. So it it is it is a dairy breed, but more more dual purpose than than what your typical dairy breeds would be so um yeah i got started with those in an interesting way um and i should maybe uh just explain the reason we have those and how we came to the uh to the uh yes, conclusion that's what we want to have so yeah i'll just back up and and kind of talk about how the operation transitioned from the conventional side, like I was talking about the, uh, the cows we had were the Holstein, the big, the big frame spotted black and white cows. And we had, uh, we had pretty good genetics. I mean, we, we just ran a bull. We didn't have the whole AI breeding like a lot of uh, dairy farmers do to try to really, um, high power your cows to produce more. So we, we weren't on that train quite as much, but we still were, were getting bulls in from those breeders. So uh, definitely conventional dairy cow is what we had. And so over the years, we, we wanted to go to a more uh, grass-based um, operation and and with the conventional cows, we didn't we didn't want to use those as much as possible, just just because they're not they don't have the ability to to go out and and use energy, graze, and uh, keep keep milk production plus uh, keep body condition. So that was kind of the first thing I saw, uh, kind of playing around with grazing was was that, and uh, you'd have your your thinner cows and and that's typically what most dairy farmers uh, will tell you when when you talk about the whole grazing thing. Oh, you're going to have some thin cows, and and uh, they're not going to breed back and all that. So that was kind of the thing we had to work against, and uh, I'll probably later explain more why we wanted to go to grass-based dairying. But uh, for now, I'll talk about the, the cows and uh, – I uh, I was looking at different cows or different breeds, and uh, it was at that time a magazine came out. Um, I forget the name of the magazine, but it was one of the agriculture magazines. But there was this article in in there that had the story of a farmer who who had these Dutch belted cows, and they were so highly reproductive that uh, he could sell most of his herd 
and uh, he'd have enough heifer calves coming along that he could take a break and have a a, a new herd going on, going in a year or two, and he'd take a break, and he was able to do that. And I thought a dairy farmer having a break who who does that ever? <laughs> so uh, that really attracted me. Just the high reproduction of them. Uh, he just yeah. He mentioned how highly reproductive they were and get a lot more calves out of them. So I, I, I started looking through that breed and uh, came across a bull that was uh, available closer to the, uh, to my area. Most, most, most of the bulls all I have to go out of state for, but this was actually someone in the state who had one. And uh, so I decided, here we go. We're just going to breed this bull to one of, or to, to my cow herd and see what we get. You know, we're just going to try it. And uh, so we definitely saw a big change in the calves when they started having having the little ones. The calves were just much stronger, healthier, and uh, were were uh, were more beefy. You know, they 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 looked a lot better, and and uh, they just did a lot better. And so. We decided uh, we're going to go all in and and keep breeding these cow, keep breeding our cows, and and uh, so we sold off uh, the hot, the bigger framed Holstein cows and kept kept the the smaller framed, more uh, more beefy looking cows than uh, than than what the other ones were, and we just got rid of those and. Uh, it, it it has gone from 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 the Holstein herd and and we've just been crossing them back to the to the belted bulls and we're now in our fourth fifth generation so actually fourth we're just we're just on our fourth now so I think fifth is when they call them purebred so we keep papers on them just just because the the breed is 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 the numbers are small enough that they want to try to keep them all registered as much as possible. And it does add value to them as well for people who are looking for it. So how many generations of breeding did it take for them to really, for you to find your ideal cows, the ones that fit your phenotype that were, that were successful on your forage? Well, so the, um, the cows, the first cross were, were, you know, what they call a hybrid, which mm-hmm. I still have some of those. And so not as just as much as the breed goes, but as selection of genetics go to, to kind of see, you know, which cows keep their body condition and, uh, you know, keeping a cow that's not as tall. And so we've kept those and those, those really have done well for us. You know, the, the first cross, we still, we still have quite a few of those, but, uh, they uh they just keep milking more and more and we're you know we're like okay we thought most dairy cows kind of dwindle off after they get that old but they just keep going so the i really like the the um the third generation you do have some on the second uh generation or on the the first cross you have more of the hybrid vigor the second cross you have some of the diluting effect of the of both breeds and then after that is when I really really like what what I'm seeing they're more of a beefier animal and they'll uh they're just a lot stronger 
So that's that's what I like. Well, I would. One of the questions that I had written down to ask from from the paddock was, how do you breed, and what are you primarily selecting for? And I think I think you really nail it there. So, what are you noticing about the longevity of of your Dutch Belties as you're coming down the generations and their staying power as far as milking ability? Well, I haven't figured out. I haven't really seen that yet simply because uh, even on the, okay, so even on the second, third generations, you know, I still had some, some taller, taller cows that I, that I didn't like as much. And, and I just sold those to a crossbred dairy farm in Texas. And, uh, and I've just kept, kept the older ones and, you know, they're, they're up there in their, in nine years of age now, and they're, they're still going strong. And it's, it's not something that you'll hear many dairy farmers talk about is a cow that will keep going strong for that long. You know, I think the typical uh, lactation is like, barely two lactations, two years of, of milking, and then they're done. Right. So, here. so when you mention strong Lloyd, you mean like longevity, right? Not necessarily structural or. Yeah. They're, they're just a lot hardier. Hardier would be the better word okay. than strong. Cause they, they just, you know, if, if there's a weather event, if there's, you know, where, where other cows would get stressed a lot more, mm-hmm. um, they don't, it doesn't bother them near as much. Okay. So that's my, my terminology of, of that. <clears throat> and you said you were getting, you were getting eight, nine lactations out of a cow. Well, that's, that's the most we've had. We haven't, we haven't really, um, I mean, we're still keeping them as long as they go, as long as they're doing okay, we're going to keep them. Um, and you know, the, the heifers, you know, the young, the young, uh, mamas, which we call the heifers that come along and have their first baby, uh, you know, they won't milk as much. You know, the further I get into purebred, they won't milk as much, but every lactation, they, they do better and better. They, they milk more and more. And so I think time, of course, is, is, is in the favor of these cows to keep them, keep them going. And, and, you know, you're, you're getting a calf every, every year from them it's not like you're just not getting much out of them, you know, the milk part of it, but these calves are worth a lot too. And so that's, that's a big part of it too. A Dutch belty calf is probably bull calf or steer calf is probably worth a whole bunch more than a Holstein. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We get two markets from them, right? That's right. That's right. We don't, we don't care if it's a bull or a heifer, they're both worth good money. So they're, yeah, we'll take both. So, Lloyd, can we talk about your family a little bit? Like, what does your, your family unit look like? Yeah, sure. Well, um, like I said, I've been married for 16 years and have uh, five kids. So we have three girls, and uh, those are the older ones, and then the two boys, which are the younger ones. And... Um, and then my mom also lives on the farm yet. So she's, she's still active and, and helping out. Uh, so we're all on the farm and uh, it's mostly the, the family uh, mm-hmm. that's doing it. We, we do have some help here in the last 
year we did uh we did start to hire some outside help but um yeah it's been it's been in the family kind of a family operation for for all my years and uh yeah so everyone does their own type of chore like they have their own responsibilities that they need to do yes yes okay yes yep so the so the typical day would be we uh we get up and so uh, another thing we, we do on the chores part of it is we only milk these cows once a day and uh, that makes it a lot easier for the family to only milk cows once a day. And uh, so we do that in the morning, we get up and uh, milk the cows. My, my oldest daughter does a lot of the milking and uh, a lot of uh yeah, she does a lot of the milking. Then the uh, three middle ones do the calves. So we we feed the calves their milk, and so that's their chore. And then mm-hmm. we have some some other small animals, rabbits and things like that, and chickens. And so in the evening, uh, the calves get milk, and the chickens, uh, the the layer chickens are uh, the chore for the evening for the eggs. So. Yeah, it's a great place to have the children involved and, and uh, yeah, kind of learn from young, from the young age to, to, to visualize what's out there and kind of see, you know, how, how they contribute to, mm-hmm. to, to the society or, or to, the, to the farm or, you know, to the family especially uh, yeah. to be able to actually – tell people they help grow food, you know, when, yeah, when, and when know they're where that their young. food comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So do you, do you have any of your kids that have interest in, in like taking over for the next succession or is it what I hear in conventional models is a lot of people want to leave. They couldn't leave soon enough and they don't want to come back to the family farm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that part is, is, I mean, <laughs> my, my, my oldest is, is, she's, she's really matured. She's, uh, she's the oldest and, uh, you know, she's, she's only 13. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot of life ahead of her. Uh, it does definitely, but the nice, Yeah. yeah. So, so the nice thing about what we have going here, we have so many opportunities here. It's not like, okay, we're a dairy farm and, and, all that you need to know to yeah yeah all you need to know to work here is how to milk cows it's not that so so like when we started with the technology thing with with our model of of the farm there's a lot of technology experience needed as well and so that's where they come in and you know where that will lead them later on in life I don't know but uh we uh we do we do have lots of opportunity here with with the way we not just produce food but the way we sell food so all the food we right. produce gets sold directly to consumers so that that makes a big opportunity you know whether it's marketing whether it's processing or whether it's it's writing blogs or or talking with customers or mm-hmm. speaking giving tours i mean they they've they've had the experience all those experiences you know just just in their childhood already and not saying there's 
not something else to do when they get older outside of the farm, but it does at least give them tremendous opportunity. Especially because they'll have experience in the different roles, right? So I think that's one thing, like, so like my husband and his family, he comes from a family of, there's nine of them. So he's in the middle and he has eight siblings, but they're all so well-rounded and they can do almost everything in the universe. And it's kind of crazy that they know how to do almost everything. Um, But, but they've also just chosen different uh, like career paths too. And I think that just goes to the resiliency that they have. And, And I'm assuming farm kids too, because they always just, they're more confident in, in learning something new because they yeah. have all these roles yeah. handed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and my wife does homeschool all the kids. She was uh, a teacher uh, before we got, well, just after we got married, she, she taught some school a little bit mm-hmm. before I tugged her back on the farm. But uh, she did say, you know, after that, I want to teach my own kids. And, yeah. and so she's, she's, been doing that and just just been a, being able to a lot of hands-on things here on the farm that they can that they can learn as well uh through that and uh i think it's a great great thing yeah so i imagine covid was like no change for you guys it was just business <laughs> yeah. as usual yeah we're like <laughs> what's going on out there people are coming coming scared and food insecure and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> You don't yeah, have a TV, we, do you? We did. We did. We did realize the extent of it when uh, when our shelves started to get empty and realized, oh, okay, this this is something more serious than what we thought it was. Right. So, yeah. You must not have a television. <laughs> well, we do, but we turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Wow, where are we going? Okay, hey, we're doing an interview here. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's when I was there, you know, I saw the chickens, I saw the pigs. I didn't know you guys had rabbits. So uh, eventually, I want to kind of get into your store and and start yeah. talking about some of the products that you have in there and and what and what that's done for your community. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how the chickens and pigs fit into the big picture to cycle excess biology and, and, and other things? Yeah. 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 So our operation is definitely centered around the dairy farm, but it does create some byproduct just due to the um, uh, processing of the dairy. So we make cheese and, and uh, butter. And so that does create some byproducts, skim milk and whey. And uh, what's the best animal to, to use that up? And it's hogs. So um, keeping, keeping the byproduct on the farm instead of hauling it off as a waste product, you can value add uh, a lot to that. So the, uh, the pigs kind of take on that responsibility of the byproduct. Of course, they get a a, a grain as well with it, but um, the 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 layer chickens, of course, they follow the the cows on pasture, scratch scratch around the manure pats and all that, and uh, and we can follow, we can kind of take them on with the cows. So 
it's another way of kind of adding an enterprise to what you already have and it just coexists with each other. Uh, so that's, that's typically the reason for that. I mean, we've got bees on the farm uh, because the way we graze, there's flowers. Uh, but one thing that we have learned, we don't have to do it all ourselves. Like the bees, we don't have to go out and take care of the beehives. We have someone else does that who's a beekeeper. So that's one big thing we've learned with the diversity of nature is really, really good, but you can't be over diversified in your own, uh, in your own, uh, schedule, of course, to, to keep, because the more you get over diversified, the less you become. You can only do so much. Like when do, right. you take, when do you sleep? That's right. Yes. And yeah. you can't, and the other thing is you're not going to be become better at what you're doing. If you're trying constantly to try you know, going to the next thing or this thing, and and not taking care of what you already have and making it better. Uh, right. That's that is also a big part of the profit thing is to is to become better at what you are instead of keeping on with with something new all the time. Um, so yeah, kind of how and then and then of course the the uh, the carbon cycle plays a big role uh, as I was talking with with you brian when we were here about you know the wood chip thing the carbon cycle and how uh the pigs help compost the manure uh turning turning the compost and and breaking it down and the chickens as well um but bringing in carbon to add to to the manure for the from dairy cows you know there's times when they're when they're in you know through the winter or very wet times there they'll be in on a wood chip packed area where it can soak up all the nutrients and keep it stable and keep it from uh causing ammonia smells uh creates also creates a lot of diversity you know for biology when you take those take that back out to the fields to the paddocks and uh so that that also contributes to the overall diversity of the farm so and then you mentioned rabbits uh i wish i could say they <laughs> they fit exactly into the dairy but uh they fit into the uh dairyman's uh kid or childhood i guess i should say the dairyman's childhood was rabbits and he never outgrew it so uh here we are doing rabbits uh those There's are nothing those wrong are with just that. A, don't let anybody tell you there is <laughs> There's a, I love rabbits too. You eat them, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. like rabbits too. I think yep. it's just like chicken. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're a lot, in my opinion, a lot cleaner than chicken. So Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're more of a forage when you compare them to like a, a broiler chicken, they're more of a forager than they are uh than the chi- than a broiler is, of course. And so we have yeah, we have some wild rabbits in our backyard, and <laughs> I just, I really want to shoot them because they've ruined all of my, my vegetable garden and everything, and I'm like, I, yeah. I've had to, like, I've had to cage things off, and they still figure out how to get underneath there, and it's really annoying. Um, yeah, well, so. they, they would, uh, they would be vegetarian fed then. So. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, our, our uh, rabbits are just under fruit trees, 
our fruit tree area and we have movable pens where we move them every day and, and, you know, they'll, they'll eat the grass and, and leave their fertilizer behind. So, uh, yeah, we're still, we're still learning on that with, with moving them around the, the ideal pen for rabbits on the ground is, is yet to be determined right. for us, uh, you know, to keep a big, they, they need a floor so they don't dig out and yet they, you want them as big of a hole or a, the, the slats or the netting to be big enough where they can still eat the grass that's underneath. Right. And so, um, too big, you know, they'll have a little more trouble moving them, but, uh, too small, they won't be able to uh, get their, their feed. So. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So the, you mentioned you feed a little grain to your pigs. What about mm-hmm. your cows? Yeah, the cows uh, do not get any grain uh, through the through the summer. They're they're strictly on pasture and hay. Uh, we do have my my uncle does my hay making for me. So I uh, is that from your farm or yes, most okay. most all comes from my farm and. Uh, one of the reasons for that is we're able to keep our paddocks. Uh, so through, through, so right now we've got way more grass than we could ever use and to keep it dairy quality for dairy grazing, um, either clip it or, or have it hayed and then the new growth can come and we can, we can graze that later in the summer and the, the hay, the hay we can use through the winter, of course. But um, my uncle does that and as a custom contractor for me. So I, I don't have to have all the equipment, which I'm happy with. And, uh, and then through the winter, of course, we will feed the hay. They're still out on, on pasture as much as possible. Um, but then we'll also feed a, a sprouted seed, what they call a fodder. And uh, we'll just do that through the winter to help with their energy needs to, to keep on producing milk. So with, with, a, with a grass-based operation, of course, you want to try to get as much milk out of the grazing season as possible. But of course, you're, you're wanting to sell, if you're a direct-to-consumer farm and wanting to sell milk to the public through the winter, um, you also need to have a plan to, to have milk available. You know, one way is to try to freeze all the milk from the summer and store it, you know, through the winter and, and sell frozen milk, you know, then you have to have a bigger freezer storage cost and all that. Or then uh, you can keep milk through the winter as well. So we typically will, will calve in the spring and fall We'll do kind of a bi-seasonal breeding, and uh, the, the the spring cows are typically about two thirds of the herd, and then the fall cows are around the the one third. So uh, there's some products that don't take as much storage in the freezer that are more condensed, like say cheese. Cheese wouldn't be in the freezer, of course, but like butter, cream, things like that. That we don't need as milk as much milk through the winter for that. So. Uh, back to the winter uh, milk production. So 
the that just on hay and your grasses are dormant, of course, out in the pastures. You're you're wanting to make milk out of it, and so we can make pretty good hay here with with the with our weather. You know, not not as wet climate as some areas are in the country, but um, the uh, the hay is a good quality for the winter. But it's just you know that that uh, green part of the uh, growing season, you know, it's dried into, into a dried feed. And then to add uh, this fodder that I mentioned really boosts that need to get, to get the energy, the protein they need to, to produce through the winter. And so what I'll explain that a little bit, the fodder is, is just simply a seed that sprouted for eight days nothing but water and uh, roots and all get fed to the cows. And uh, so it's like your sprouts on your, uh, your alfalfa sprouts, your wheat sprouts, you know, whatever your, your. When you go to the smoothie store and you see those that's little, right. the wheat shops. That's right. Yeah, that's what it looks like. You know, and they, and they, they always talk about the nutritional effects, you know, when they put that in your shake and that's exactly the same thing we're doing is, is getting that concentrated nutrient in with the hay. And uh, there's, there's a lot of water that's in, I mean, it's really wet, but as, as that water has gone through the, and, and soaked up into that uh, sprouted seed, that water also will then soak into the hay and the hay becomes a, 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 a new product as well. And so yeah. it's, it's worked really good for us uh, over the years. And it's, it's a great place to work through the winter. Uh, it's nice and warm in the room that we grow it in and, and uh, it's green and uh, the snow can be blowing outside and, and you're feeding your cows inside. So that's, that's what I like about it. And the big bonus is it does produce heat as it grows. And uh, I think I told Brian, that when I was there, uh, the the sprouts as they grow produce oh, really? heat. Yeah, and uh, so it takes very little heat to keep yeah. your room. It, well, well that's okay. Good. So, so this room, this room that Lloyd's doing this in, like the racks are what seven, six, seven feet tall, Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, roughly seven feet tall, and they're kind of centered in a building that's. It's almost like a little trailer, right? Like a little. Sh- no, it's like the size of a two car garage. It's kind of square, yeah. but it's oh, it's wow. a little taller. It's probably a fourteen foot ceiling. Yeah, yeah. I could I could go taller with the trays if I wanted to ever. But it's it's just basically an uninsulated cinder block building, and the heat it, yeah, it from is that insulated. grain sprouting and a and a little oil heater. That's all yeah. it takes. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. issues with mold at all? Yeah, that's one thing to to always be in. Uh, on the lookout for is, is keeping airflow, you know, all winter long, I, I do have a window crack to keep airflow and, and the system I bought came with dehumidifiers to, to take down some of the, because it, it, it produces a lot of uh, moisture, but temperature and moisture create uh, more, you know, that the level of humidity. So the lower, the lower the temperature the less your perspiration is, is occurring. And so getting it too warm in there will really escalate the, the uh, probability for mold. 
So yeah. I like to keep it under 70, but you go down to 60 or below, then you'll have very slow growth of yield. Your yeah. yield. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's, that, that's, that's the thing to, 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 to be careful for is, is, is mold because you're not, you're not dealing with soil. You're just simply dealing with the, with the, with the seed and, and clean seed is very important as well. Uh, Cause anything that, you know, when a seed dies and grows, it, it, it rots. And so that's anything that you don't have to have in there uh, that's not growing. You don't want in there. So I, I have it cleaned every, every year. And, and uh, there's, there's another place for the, for the hogs is to, for all the screenings that come out of that. Oh, the, yeah. hogs, the hogs get that. So what, what's a day in the life of one of your cows like? A day? Yeah. Where do they start yeah. their day and what do they do all day? When do they, when do they come in and milk and where do they sleep? Well, so uh, for, for this time of the year, you know, they'll, they'll be, um, they'll be not every morning, but they'll be up. So, so my, my pastures, there's lanes going out to, to all my pastures from the central location, which is the dairy barn. And uh, they, um, <clears throat> they will often be up ready to milk. You know, they're, they're a animal of uh, repetition and, and, uh, and they do, uh, they, they're usually up ready to be milked. And, and after that, you know, depending on the, on the condition of the pasture. So trying to, you know, our, our, um, goal is for a dairy cow to have a balanced feed, which pastures can, can fluctuate quite a bit throughout the year and still trying to keep it as much dairy quality as possible. So you get, you get, too uh, young growth out there or too too many legumes that are young uh you'll 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 be having problems and so if if that's the case right now we're we're getting into the you know kind of the the more mature stage of growth you know we we came from the spring of of young growth and then moved into but as from spring on uh, we did feed a little bit of grass hay that we would have harvested, you know, hayed from from the year before. So we're, we'd we'd be feeding some of that right after they're done milking, and uh, and then they're able to to go out to their pasture and uh, graze their their area that we have pre-selected with with a strip grazing with a poly wire, and uh, we give them the amount they need for the day. And that's where they, they spend their day up and, you know, overnight and they're back the next morning. So very, very casual, no uh, chasing back and forth, you know, in the evenings they can, they can, they can be out there and, and uh, do their thing. So I was, I was kind of looking for an opening to talk about, uh, I think, I think you call it a tie down barn. The one with the concrete free, floor. Freestall. Freestall. The yes. old freestall. And that's where they come in generally and bed down the winter. And you've put, you figured out instead of 
just having a bare concrete floor washing it out every couple days. Hey, we could put wood chips in there, soak up all the stuff, then we can take the wood chips and put them on our compost pile to move them out to the pasture later. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the discussion on uh, carbon because um, typically in a conventional dairy, I mean, this is this was my understanding of carbon when I grew up, was – or when I was a child, I, I, I had the understanding that, you know, all, all uh, wood, uh, straw, that's a waste product where you either burn it or haul it away. I mean, it's, you know, who wants that stuff? And, uh, but we never really realize how much of the smell that comes off of the manure piles we create from a freestall barn, maybe the, just maybe, that uh, it could use some carbon to to stabilize all the nutrients. And uh, when I when I under started understanding that, you know, and especially learning that through a lot of the farm meetings, especially in the regenerative ag side, I soon realized that hey, uh, we don't we can we can add value by some of the the, the waste products we thought we had mixing that in with our manure and suddenly we have a better product than what we had is, is making both products better by mixing them together. And why not, why not have the cows mix it together instead of uh, having, having to do it with your front end loader with sloppy, you know, liquid manure. And so um, I the the freestall barn I didn't bring up because that's typically what conventional dairy farmers will talk about. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. Because well, I, and they usually use sand too, right? That's to right. Do the that's right. And yeah. that's what I used to use. You know, you'd buy sand, uh, and that was your your cost for bedding. But you know, sand doesn't have a lot of carbon in it, as we know. And so I have. In the last few years, I've switched from sand to to straw. Uh, my neighbor, my neighbor has a has a big wheat field, and uh, I'll buy wheat straw from him. And uh, so I was I would would put straw in the free stalls, and and when I when I say free stalls, that's where they they bed down if they want to lay down. There's like bars every four foot, and they can lay there. That way they're not like in the manure area. And so that area I would always keep bedding on, but the area where they would stand and, you know, they'd get some hay, uh, that area was just, you know, it would get liquidy and and uh, just like typical freestall manure is. It's more of a slurry than it is a, uh, uh, a solid. And so... I'd, I'd, I'd be there trying to scoop this up, haul it out, and you can't put it on a pile, of course. And, you know, I had a, 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 a blueprint drawn up at one time to put in a manure pit, but, you know, that's keeping a slurry manure in an open uh, pit is just you, you get you get smells you, your neighbors really don't care to have. Well, and so, and- it's dangerous. I've I've heard of people dying because they fall into those things. Yeah, yeah. It's extreme. It, it's a ammonia. Different, it's is, a, yeah. yeah, very extreme. It's so. a different biological breakdown process that happens when it's a manure slurry 
versus manure Compost. incorporated yeah. with wood and yeah. straw. Yeah, yeah. We, I want to talk about that too, just because I I had soil samples from about ten different dairies. Forty percent of those dairies, they put their green manure, spread it right onto their pastures. Mm-hmm. And they found out that the carbon actually they lost carbon accrual. Really, and so wow. I just thought that was a fun That's fact. And I mean, it kind of makes sense though. If it's hot, if it's hot manure, it's going to sterilize yeah. the mi- microbiology and everything else. And yeah. it's not really you're not you're not managing with nature. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I know that some of them have become better with it. With, with applying it on top of like a cover crop or something right. instead of, I mean, back in the day, we'd put it on bare dirt and that, you know, how much did we gain? Who knows by, by taking that out there. I mean, with, with, the with the open, you know, the volatizing, the, uh, yeah. Micro- of course it won't blow away or wash away. Or is it, what is the thought <laughs> process you think? They, they just want it to to compost for a while before it's too much ammonia or too much nitrates on the soil. Um, well, can I yeah. say government regulation? <laughs> I think I yes. think that a big part of it is you have to keep your manure out of the streams as a dairy farmer. Okay. And so you can't haul manure when it's raining is the other problem. So what do you do with it when it's raining and all your cows are, are in the freestall and you've got tons and yeah. tons of manure coming off of that every day. So you have to have storage for that in order for it to not be in our streams. And so that's, that's the NRCS thing of trying to keep it in a contained structure so that when you can get out in the field, that you have the capacity to do that. And so it's, it's not really about the composting process more. It's about the storing process until you can get out there. And so, uh, yeah, that, that, that just adds, you know, when you have that manure sitting there and you open that crust on top and start hauling that, and that's been sitting there. I mean, that's, that's a anaerobic, uh, medium. And yeah, you, you, you really have, uh, yeah, neighbors are not happy when you do that. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a, um, a permit, and luckily it, it got prolonged and prolonged, you know, for cost sharing for one of those. And, you know, that's one of the best things that ever happened was not getting that done because, I mean, I I've I I actually helped build one for my uncle and uh yeah just just the way of hauling it I mean it's hard on machinery you know it coats every bearing and sprocket piece of equipment with it you got to wash it down and yeah to 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 be here with the composting thing and and actually add value to it but you know the problem is you can't do it on a you know, thousand cow dairy, you've got where you get all the, all the carbon, you got to have that all hauled in where you're going to get it. And hauling becomes a big factor and, you know, and then hauling it out. And I, I, I still think it would be worth it even for bigger farms. It's just that, you know, they don't have time. They, you know, it takes time to get, get your carbon to the, to the farm and then having a place to, 
how you're compost and, and all that. So I think it's more of a time frame and just, I don't want to do it than it is make it making sense to them. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know, we, I think we're, a lot of us are really challenging that paradigm of get big or get out. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get mm-hmm. big, you have to mechanize, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. And, you know, there's a value in staying small. There's a value in, in, in just trying to support your own community. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about your store and how that's important to support your local community and local food culture. Sure. Sure. Well, that's what I really like to talk about because that's, that's where, you know, when I realize the connection that, that a farm has to the consumer is, is through our buying uh, structure we have. And, you know, I, I, I had grown up with the, with the idea that, you know, the farmer was the low dog and, and he just, he just, takes the price he can get and be happy with it. And, and, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody can charge the, the farmer what he wants, but the farmer can never charge the, uh, the market or the, or the co-op, whoever he's selling to what he wants. And, and I realized all that is, is just a, uh, a mindset thing that us as farmers have, we've, we've lost the control of, of, of our, where our food goes and changing the way we think about it really helps to take some of that control back because the consumers are the people who, who are, who are getting the products we produce in the end. Anyway, why not make a relationship or a connection with them instead of trying to keep on making a connection with, with your co-op or, or whoever, and I, I realize that it's a it's a lot of steps you have to or a lot of positions you have to have as a farmer to do that. And it that that's probably one of the more challenging parts of the way we do it. But the most fulfilling thing for me is to be able to supply food for people who who really need clean, pure food and don't and 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 they know that they can't keep going on the, the health journey they were. They need to change. And we as farmers need to, need to be able to understand that, that what, what they're wanting, what they're telling us is, is pretty important because they're the ones that are, that are uh, carrying the dollar and, and giving uh, and, and paying, paying the price they need to pay for their own health. And so, that's, I think, one of the biggest things I, I love to see here is just the people coming in and the appreciation they have for what we've done and and uh, produce for them, and just see see how how uh, how they go and tell someone else and how uh, how they'll have a success story of of you know a different a different health you know a different health outcome than what they had and. Uh, to be a to be a farmer and and, and uh, hear that that's that's pretty humbling. So, yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to brag on on your cows and on your operation because I put probably at least a pint of cream, real heavy cream, 
from y'all's dairy in my coffee every week. What do you sell that <laughs> pint for? It's like eight fifty a pint. Yeah, yeah. I have no problem paying that and putting that in my yeah. coffee. It is, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. We buy your milk. You walk into the store, and Lloyd showed me like the cheese cooler, and there's just this giant wall of cheese. Uh, they make fresh cheese curds on the farm, several kinds. Uh, the jalapeno cheddar, my favorite. Um, they make mozzarella on the farm. That's oh, it's just perfect. I can't wait to find a pizza to put some on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. besides your dairy products. And your chicken eggs. What? What? How, I guess what I'm getting at is, what other farms are using your storefront to help market their products? Yeah. So we we uh, we have realized that, like I said earlier, that we can't do it all. Even though we'd like to, sometimes we we can't do it all, and. We, we need to continue allowing other people to be involved in, in the operation or in the movement, I should say. Um, I think one of the things that I learned was um, diversity of, uh, of, you know, crops, enterprises, you know, pastures, you know, having diversity impact, that's, that's all good, but realizing that to continue this, the, the regenerative movement, there has to be more people involved. Uh, and there's, there's a lot more, there's a lot more things that, that, uh, that go on in the dairy or on the farm that need to be done when you're direct marketing. And so one of the things that we, we have done is, is allowing other people to supply products in the way that we would like to do if we would be doing it. And so, um, and so we have we have several several other farms that contribute as well. So one would be a produce farm, um, which grows vegetables and hoop houses, and and throughout the year does a lot of microgreens. Uh, and then they also, because of a smaller acreage, their operation works well for broiler chicken. So they do our broiler chickens. So they're using our storefront, and then we have a mushroom farm that uh, grows a lot of mushrooms, and uh, that was probably the the most exciting uh, bender we for me that we had uh, to have mushrooms available. So I love what them. What kind of mushrooms do you do in morels? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've tried to go hunt mushrooms, and there's such a big secret about morales oh, yeah. that you never i i'm never like it's to, a cult following like they'll kill is, you if, if they, they, find, they will not it's share their location like <laughs> suspension all the time yeah so so they they've become innovative too and, and made you know they do dried mushrooms and and uh i think they're coming out with uh mushroom jerky here pretty soon so we did taste some of that and i was very hooked on that so hopefully we'll be able to get that in soon and uh, then we have a baker who does uh, uh, sourdough bread baking, uh, different types of bread. And then uh, we have uh, my mom does does a lot of baking as well. The the more of the the snacky items, the cakes and cookies, and and uh, she'll do 
homemade candy through the winter. That's been a hot item for her all her life. That's kind of been her big business. And then she does a lot of uh, canning uh, vegetables. And so, uh, see who else? Oh, we got someone doing some uh, fermentation. We've got sauerkraut there. So uh, that was one thing I really liked and hope hopefully we'll be able to have more fermented products um, down the road. So um, I took home some of that sourdough bread you're just talking about some cheese and some butter. Oh my goodness. I got to tell you, that was the best grilled cheese sandwich I have had in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. We, uh, we definitely take for granted what, all is at our fingertips. We we send the kids out to go shopping and, and, you know, who knows what they come in with. So it's great. Yeah. The sourdough bread, four Traeger raw dairy butter, your cheese will beat the heck out of rainbow iron kids bread with margarine, fried in margarine with craft <laughs> singles on them any day. Yeah. Y'all can keep that stuff. I don't want it. When anymore. were those things ever good? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've just been amazed how, you know, probably the, one of the, the, the big thing that I hear over and over is it doesn't take as much food, you know, when, oh, yeah. when, uh, when they're eating more of the yeah, it's, it's, dense and whole, has, whole product. Yes. Yeah. It, it is a little more expensive. I mean, we got yeah. to be upfront yeah. about that. It's a little Absolutely. more expensive to buy. Yeah. But yeah. Can I, yeah. you eat so Can I much less. Too? Yes, Okay, yes, it is more expensive, but if you look at what you're spending your money on, I'm sure you can make room for it in your budget. And, you know, Mike Calicrate has the argument that, yeah, you can go buy that cheap food that's cheap, and you're going to end up paying a lot of health costs later down the line. But if you do business with somebody that doesn't externalize their costs, you know, you'll save money in the long run even by eating – you know, even by paying a little bit more for your food, you'll save that way down the line on health care and, and reduce stress yeah. and longevity and, and other things later. Yeah. 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 So, um, kind of hear about the midpoint. Let's, uh, where, how can people find you? How can, how do your customers find you? Well, word of mouth, of course, has been really big, but my, uh, my wife, Arlene, she does a lot of marketing and, uh, she'll, uh, she'll find a lot of people through email marketing, you know, through getting people's emails. And, uh, you know, one, one of the, uh, another big thing that where people find us is we we've done tours, uh, and just having people come out and, uh, looking at, uh, looking at the farm, showing them around and, and, you know, we, we never, or we, we underestimate the the power of connection when people see where their food is from. I mean, it's very normal for us. It's just like, okay, yeah, this is what we do every day, but to actually have someone experience that it's a completely different ball game. But uh, yeah, our website definitely uh, gets quite a bit of traffic um, born and, uh, and then more on the tourist side of things, uh, 
we we are signed up through Harvest Hosts, and that brings quite a few people along from places that would normally not show up here. And what that is, it's a uh, a uh, RV parking system where they can park here for the night, and uh, they're they can park here free. They're just obligated to make a purchase at our business. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really rewarding to see, you know, they can't believe something like this exists. You know, you know, they, most of them come from the city and uh, they're, they're out traveling, seeing the country and, and just, yeah, just odd that they can stay on a farm and not just a tourist farm, but a place where food gets grown, you know, I almost wish I could be there when you had like an RV full of people from New York City or Chicago come through and stop and then walk into your store for the first time or the first time they taste any of your food. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, yeah. Ice cream has become a pretty, a pretty, uh, a raving thing amongst them. You know, they'll, they'll post a review about the ice cream and, they're like, we need to get your ice cream. You know, one of the first words they they tell me when they step out of their RV, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun meeting them, and and uh, yeah, to, we had one. I think one that really made an impression on me was, you know, they they were parked out by the uh, they could they could look over the pastures, and uh, they were sitting in the RV and said, I was drinking, drinking my milk and I could look out there and see the cows producing the milk I'm drinking. I said, that was pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. You can't buy that kind of connection with a customer. Right. That's right. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 So we've yeah. got a, I've got a question here that comes out of our Facebook group, Ranching Reboot Paddock. Mm-hmm. All of you listeners listening out there come to Facebook. And search for Ranching Reboot Paddock. Um, so Dan Heslop, if I mispronounce that, you can yell at me later. He wants to know, what are some regenerative practices that a conventional operation could begin to implement? Cover crops, grazing-based heifer raising, things like that. Yeah, I think that would be a good, a good, a good start is, is to, to when you're, when you're wanting to go to grazing, I think the first, the first group of, uh, animals to use would be your your dry cows like the the cows that are not milking there's 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 some more forgiveness there and uh and just try it with them before you get into your 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 higher producing and you know heifers of course would be would be the next thing you know the the calves uh but but just yeah just just start uh playing around with it. I wouldn't do it on a big, big scale. Uh, keep, keep, uh, keep your risk low because I know the first time I, I, I turned cows out for grazing. Um, well, it was what you do back in the day. You'd, you'd have your wheat, your wheat, uh, in the spring and, uh, turn the cows out, you know, through the winter, late winter, you turn the cows out and, and you'd have the, the milk you'd have a flavor in the milk because of of the strong flavor it creates and uh 
So yeah, that you know the cows didn't know what to do going out there the first time. They just started running, running in circles. They didn't know what to do. They were they didn't know they were supposed to eat. This doesn't so, look like a barn. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's that's a good thing uh, to start with. And the dairy side or the dairy cow part of the milking cows, um, you'll have to have lanes to get you know from your milking barn to the pasture. So uh, there, there is, you know, an added step in, in grazing, in grazing dairy cattle is keeping lanes and, and, you know, keeping the traffic line open so they can get through because you don't want them to be walking over all your pastures all the time and back to your dairy barn uh, lanes seem to, seem to work the best so if you if you don't have to have them come back and forth like a like a heifer or the calves i think that would be a good good place to start i mean i you know i think we can both agree that when you're doing like a high density operation you're gonna have a lane somewhere you know when you're doing daily moves whether it's a lane back to water or lane back to the milking barn and that just may be kind of an unavoidable part part of the deal and maybe you know we have to we have to adapt to that by every couple of years, moving that lane and giving that, yeah. giving that area time to rest. Yeah. That leads into another good question that, uh, that more than one asked in, in the Facebook group, which was, uh, about lanes versus mobile parlors. Like how important is the layout is laying out your, your facility and planning your facility. How important is that, um, for long-term success and, and our mobile parlors may be maybe a situation that works for some people. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think there's a possibility there for, for mobile parlors. Uh, I guess I got lucky, uh, with, with our layout here that we're, our, our farmstead is in the center, uh, North and South of our farmland. And so, that really helps a lot. Now, if you're on a corner of a big acreage, yeah, then your then your your cows will have to walk further. So the the more centralized your milking parlor, the better, just simply because of cow distance walking, and, and not just the cows, but to keep those lanes up. I mean, your costs of keeping lanes uh, going is a lot higher the further they have to walk, but. Um, yeah, I think the probably context makes a big part of that just simply because there's a lot of dairy barns empty and uh if if you're if you'd be starting on completely bare land and trying to start up a dairy farm, I think uh, a portable parlor would be something to to consider. I know there's a lot of of uh, things that go into that that most people don't think about is, you know, you're getting your, your if you have a, a pipeline system to keep your, your you know, for all your washing and, and everything, you have to keep all the lines drainable. So if you're not level, uh, you might have some problems. And so that's one thing. And just the, just the portability of, of, uh, of the system, you know, it would take some engineering and all that to make it work, which I know I have really 
took some interest in it uh, to 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 research some of the um, the difference between lane maintenance and portable barn uh, movement and all that. Um, so I think that context is is probably a, a big thing. If, if there's a dairy a dairy, old dairy barn on it and there's some you know concrete around the dairy barn and the and the dairy barn is centrally located, I would use that. But if there's if it's bare land or the dairy the dairy barn's fallen down and and it's not not worth reusing, yeah, then I then I'd reconsider that. But if if you'd be just strictly looking for some land for for a dairy farm, um, I the 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 more square the layout, the better. Just because you can you can kind of have more of that pie shaped thing than uh, you would with a with a long strip or several odd uh, corners or something like that. Uh, because it does just like our operation, our herd size does. Uh, is determined by our land layout. So you go portable and you would have some more options, but probably more variables as well. So. I haven't seen a whole lot here in the country as far as researching. I know there's, there's quite a few in New Zealand doing it and over in uh, Europe I've seen some and they're they're pretty cool the way they've got them set up. Uh, I've seen one where where the cows come up uh, and they uh, they go into their stall and uh, this is right on the line of the the next paddock and they're they're ready to go to their next paddock and they know after they get milk they'll they'll go to their next paddock and as soon as they're done milking the gate opens in front of them and they get to go to their new feed and so. That, I think that's pretty cool the way they do it. And, you know, it's what makes sense for your operation and for your goals. There's there's a lot Absolutely. of different ways to do it and do it well. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess we're still leaving. We're, wow. Just look at the time. It's uh, time is flying by, and I don't want to keep you here all day. But man, we still have so many questions. Um, so I'll edit out this stupid awkward pause later. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lloyd, we have so many. You know, I have so many more questions, and you know, so many more things I want to get to. We might just have to have you back for for a another episode later before we kind of close out let's talk about like some specifics about milk what uh like what is what how does your milk break down component wise like uh, protein fat ratios yeah yeah well uh we're we're uh, around like a four percent uh fat and uh three and a half three three and a half percent protein and uh that that is i mean there's there's the the cows are uh i mean they're not like a high producing cream uh like you know, jersey or or uh guernsey 
but they 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 work really well for cheese making. So that's that's kind of the the uh, the main processing of our operation is the cheese. Like you said, the the wall of cheese is that's the reason why. <laughs> so. you guys, his face when he showed me the wall of cheese, it just lit up. He says, "This is all the cheese." Yeah, yeah. So. So they just so they have a better better uh, a better milk ratio component ratio for for the products that you like to sell, and I can understand why you like to do a lot of cheese because it stores and it stores That's well right. and it and yes. it holds it and it doesn't depreciate. The product doesn't depreciate in storage. Yep. Yep. And if yep. you make your cheese right, sometimes the value appreciates. It's like wine. Yeah. yeah. It's like That's wine. right. Yeah. The one thing that gets better with age. So, so when they say like, you know, cheeses age seven years and they're bragging about it, does that mean there was a while where they just made more cheese than they could sell and they stored it up and then they were like, oh, hey, it's special because we've had it for seven years. Yeah. Well, cheese making is an art. And so um, I'm fascinated how, how mistakes become new varieties. And <laughs> it's, it's interesting for me to listen to other people talk about, you know, Oh, they, they did this or did that. And, Oh, we'll just call it a different kind now because it's a different variation of, of what they had in mind to do. And so you get these, yeah, different names and, and uh, varieties going out. Like, how did you come up with that? Like, well, wasn't that hard. What if so. you gave some cheese to your mushroom farmer to put in his mushroom room to age while the mushrooms are growing? Yeah, I I haven't been into the the whole uh, bacterial aging part of it. Um, so that's that's a whole new level of um, of aging. The furthest I've came is our bandage cheddar, which is a cheddar cheese that has aged longer than traditional cheddar. But instead of of wrapping it in plastic like most of all the other cheeses do it actually gets wrapped in pork lard and uh, that creates uh, also creates an air tight seal, but not Bacon just that. Cheese. Yes. It also <laughs> creates a unique flavor as it I, ages. I'm looking at my watch and doing the math on how long it would take me to drive to Yoder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a little mad because you didn't tell me about this when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, time was of the essence. <laughs> I, I I have that written down. That's definitely yeah. going to be at our next order. Yeah. Bandage cheddar. That sounds amazing. And I want to have some right now. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other cheese I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep, uh, improving is our, is our kefir cheese right now. It's just wrapped in plastic, but kefir, um, has so many different bacterial, um, bacterial and, uh, microbial components in it that, I mean, I, I've got a cheese book that a guy, he's able to make all these different kinds of cheese just with just with this kefir, like this these kefir grains that are put in milk, and then the milk becomes kefir, and that's what he uses for culture. That's what our kefir cheese is used, is used in our kefir cheese. And so that that in itself 
is is really fascinating to me because I, I love biology and the bacterial components. And so uh, I've played around with that. So I'd, I'd love to do a, um, well, I shouldn't say I, I'd love to, I actually have. Uh, so I guess it's coming out here. <laughs> I've, I've tried the, uh, the kefir cheese with, with the lard bandaging. So my, uh, my excitement is building to open up that one once it's aged for a little longer yet. So, well, if you need taste testers, you know where to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some yeah CK, some, you can get there almost tests. as quick as I can. Yeah. Some of my test, uh, tasting is some becomes pretty strong and, and you're like, is that well-aged or is that just kind of molded or something? Yeah. So to get the difference between what a real strong aging is and the, and just a, yeah, a sour cheese is. I imagine that's a pretty fine line. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and if you have so much cheese, you're like, Okay, what's good anymore? I mean, what what what's a good taste? And eating all the scraps all the time, and kind of like, okay, we need something new. <laughs> oh wow! Well, Lloyd, it's it's been a it's been a blast, and we don't want to take up any more of your time than we have to. Have we left anything on the table that uh, that you want to talk about? Well, um, I know I I. Uh, I just like to leave you with, with the, the value of, of building, building that connection from, from the food uh, to you, to your food, whether the value of the consumer making the connection to the food or the farmer making the connection to the consumer who eats the food. I think that's, that's what I want to leave you with. Cause that's, that's what changed our operation from being just a farm struggling along, trying to, make it work to, to, to something that's actually, we feel good about. We're all about it. Shaking the hand. That Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So is there anything you'd like to ask us? Any, any hard questions you really want me to answer on the air? <laughs> uh, well, is there any, um, yeah, probably back to the carbon. Um, how 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 much is a t- a ton of uh, carbon worth to you? Uh, whether it be wood chips or straw or something like that, I think that's a good question. Fifty dollars uh, a ton. That's <laughs> that's the price on the yeah. European market for sequestration. It's fifty bucks yeah. a ton. Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to be higher. I just think. With the way go. the environment, social and governance, ESG is, is the, the hot topic now mm-hmm. for plans for, for, for companies. It's yeah. gonna happen. Where are they yeah. gonna where are they gonna apply that calculation? Like if if that if know. the carbon calculation doesn't go all the way back to the wellhead, it's mm. it's fraudulent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's gotta go back to the wellhead and you know They've got to account for that, and then every user down the line has to account for that, and you know has to. Yeah, they need to be able to be audited. It one hundred percent needs to be transparent. Yeah, but yeah, it, we, it's so complicated. We, I mean, these supply chains are so complicated. I don't think we'll ever get transparency enough transparency to where that system can't be gamed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of hands involved with that. 
Yeah. You know, but we, we have to do a better job of, of being energy efficient, producing the same with less inputs, with more creativity, you know, more of our ingenuity and our, and our building, rebuilding a bond with, with livestock. And that's, uh, that's something that's going to be coming up soon. And that's the motivator behind carbon is it's actually enabling you to do those things is innovate, actually get paid to innovate and, and figure out how to make a livelihood in your community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think becoming better at, at utilizing the waste that we, we, yes. we deal with. Because it's not really waste though, right? right. It's not waste. It's energy. Right. What we call yeah. waste is, yeah. is, is the ability to, to utilize that in a, in an energy needed way. I mean, there's, there's, there's ways of doing that. We don't need to be hauling, hauling everything off and, and thinking, looking at it as waste, definitely. Awesome sauce. Lloyd, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. So thank you for joining us. CK, I think it's time to land this plane to get out of here. What do you think? Yep. Thank you. Hey, it's been, it's been good. Thanks for, for, uh, for the chat and the other good episodes I've listened to. They've been really helpful. Thank you. It's our pleasure, Lloyd, and we're going to do our best to keep good content rolling out to everybody. So with that, I'm Red Hills Rancher. We're out. <laughs>